Presence is such the healing balm because within presence, I feel like we can return back to ourselves. We can return to what's alive and moving within us. We can connect to what does spirit mean to us personally? How can we come back to our roots, so to speak? I think in decolonizing, for me, that's where I return to. This just sense of like this interconnectedness and wovenness. If we can each, as a humanity, come into touch with that, like how would the world look different? Welcome to the Art of Relating podcast, where I'm figuring out life, asking questions, becoming present with the unknown, and navigating the mystery with my dear friends. These conversations are one of my greatest resources, and I hope they can be a catalyst for you on your journey as well. I'm your host, Tammy Chow from Somatic Spirit. In this episode, me and my dear friend Melina, who I know as a fellow somatic experiencing practitioner and who has journeyed with me throughout the training together, we talk about the impact of colonization, this really hot topic being thrown around on social media that I have to admit was somewhat off-putting for me at first because I really didn't truly understand the ways that it affected me. And we talk about how we've unpacked this through our own somatic healing journeys, for me being full Chinese and her half Chinese, being raised in a westernized culture, having our definition of God or spirit being taken away from us at a very early age, and also how we ourselves reckon with taking on traditions and practices from ones that are not from our own cultural background. My intention for this conversation is to be a more softer, nuanced investigation of the topic around colonization rather than the more angry, pointing the finger type of energy that is so prevalent sometimes around it. I hope that our conversation helps you dive deeper into exploring this in a way that's filled with less guilt and shame and more curiosity. I don't know if this happens to you in trainings or in real life, but more and more, I feel like this always happens whenever I have like an initial judgment or or like thought about somebody, like either I find them really annoying or I'm drawn to them or intimidated by them or triggered by them in some way, like the universe always puts me into a pr- like a practice group with that person. <laughs> it reminds me of my first day at high school. And actually meeting you, there's like this similar feeling when I met my best friend and she was Asian too in high school. And I felt like, again, I was the only Asian and actually I'm mixed race Asian and she was too. But I remember looking over her, she was so cool. She was so pretty. I was like definitely being judgy a little bit, like, ugh, like who's this, who's this bitch over here kind of thing. And then we ended up, our parents both left us behind. Everyone had left and it was just me and her sitting in the courtyard, like, waiting for our parents to pick us up and we ended up bonding over how how parents were always late and then long story short we were best friends and we still to this day is the only friend that I'm in touch with from high school so there's like a similar feeling when I met you I was like who's that over there she looks cool I like her <laughs> isn't it funny you know I think that identifying like camaraderie with other Asian women was new for me at the time because I was like starting to look for quote unquote expanders like Lacey Phillips, um, her manifestation 
part of it is like looking for expanders. So I was looking for other people who look like me who are actually in the same field or line of work to expand like my subconscious programming that, you know, growing up in a super white culture, I didn't realize that that's one of the things that held me back from thinking that I could succeed at the things that I wanted. So I started looking for more Asian women who were in healing that I could be friends with and also look up to. But yeah, like one of the coupled emotions was because most of my life I've compared myself or felt like there can only be room for one Asian. You know what I mean? I don't know if you grew up feeling that way. Just like in high school, there's like that ingrained, conditioned competition amongst women. And so for me, especially if it was another Asian woman, I was incredibly hard like on them. Like I feel like I was almost like bullying, like hatred kind of. <laughs> from, you know, everything that I had picked up from previous generations or whatever. Yeah. You know, in my town, it was very, very, there was like a very small Asian population. Like, I think that's why I stood out so much. So there weren't a lot. And so I actually had more of the experience. I was excited. However, and this came up when I saw you too, if there was another Asian woman or another Asian person, especially if they were full Asian, I would be bullied by them basically like, oh, you're not Asian enough. And that was really hard. And I remember like literally I, I remember my first day, interestingly, first day high school, first day at primary school, there was another Asian girl there and her name was Courtney. And she was so mean. I was like, yay, like another Asian. I never meet like Asians around here. Like this is so exciting. It was just me and her, the only two Asians in my whole primary school, Tammy. And she like cut me out. She was basically just like, you can't be a part of this group. Like you're, she never said you're not Asian enough. We were six year olds. So that was like too big a language at the time. But it was just a little bit like, I feel like maybe you were the Courtney in primary school, maybe, where she was like, there can only be one of us around here, maybe. It was like that that experience, not to say that was you, but like I, I was more like, yay, <laughs> like Asian family. And she was like, no, one of us. <laughs> right. Totally. You're like eager for connection. And this is like so layered and nuanced too, because it's like, I wasn't, I didn't have Asian pride. Like I was more... Oh, and this is like a cool update that happened. And I don't think you've been on Instagram very much lately, but on Christmas Eve, my mom, she had said something to me like the night before during our dinner as we were catching up and she repaired the next day. And she said, Tammy, because I'm working on my nonviolent communication, I want to apologize for something I said yesterday. <laughs> To give context, I think I was talking about the person that I was dating just being very attractive and really intimidating, like really triggering to that younger part of me that's like, oh my God, you know? And so I brought that up to her and she was like, well, all of my boyfriends were handsome and attractive. I figured it out, you know, something along the lines of that. And so she was like, when you brought that up to me, I noticed that I said something to assert myself and make myself seem better than you. Whereas what I could have said instead is, Tammy, you're gorgeous. And he's probably going around to all his friends telling them, oh, the girl that I'm dating looks like a movie star. And she's like, and I realize what I did to you your entire life by putting you down and how I should have been speaking to you instead. 
And she was like, I think it was because I grew up as Asian immigrant and I was always bullied by the American-born Chinese kids who were born here. So to me, you were always one of those, she calls it ABCs, like American-born Chinese. She's like, to me, you were always one of those ABCs. So you're that bitch. And so I took it out on you thinking like, oh, you have all these privileges that I didn't. And so she's like, I subconsciously was getting back at them through you. And so it's funny just looking at the way this is perpetuated because in my school, you know, growing up in Texas, it's so white. I, I mean, one of my best friend's favorite stories about me is we walked into a party and I mean, I'm so whitewashed to assimilate that I literally was like, look, Kate, we're the only two white people here. And Kate was like, Tammy, you're not white. And it's like, this is like jokes and funny, but it's like, obviously I've done this processing and therapy and it's like so sad, you know, that I've like was so mean and hated this part of myself. And the ways that came out was I bullied, you know, other Asians. Yeah, I get it. I saw that within my family, in my Asian family. And I think, you know, come to think of it, my best friend and I would do that to each other in high school. And I don't know. This is a very huge generalization I'm going to say right now, but I'm going to say it. Growing up, there was like racism is very like woven into Australian. I almost want to say culture in a way that's like, that's just normal. Like that's the way you speak about people. And so in that sense, I remember looking back at comments that I would make. Yeah. About my own people or like other Asian cultures and that you were just allowed, you know, and making fun of myself too. Like I caught on really quickly, you know, my father would always be the main one making our meals and we would go to school with fried rice with char siu and like the kids would be like, oh, you eating dog? And I remember I called on quickly to make fun of myself in order to try and fit. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's dog. It's really yummy. Like, ha ha ha. Like, what a weirdo. (laughs) And it was like, that was just, you know, the way to fit in. And it's complex, right? I think firstly, I just want to name, I got really teary sharing that story with your mom. Like, I still feel it now. It's so like just these healing moments, these moments where an older generation can really take a look at and do inventory of themselves and realize what they've passed on. And especially in this situation, as your mother is a Chinese immigrant and having American-born Chinese child, like that's so powerful that she was able to recognize that and bring that. And I think what we're speaking to is that that's so often not recognized and then we just pass on you know, talking about generational trauma, like we just pass this on. Like we start, it's like, I feel like you sharing about your mom for me just makes so much sense why then you then took that and brought that to other Asian people around you too, or, you know, and even probably to assimilate because it wasn't okay to be you. Totally. Right. And then if we're talking about the love or whatever I'm missing from my mom, right? Because I'm just experiencing complete coldness and I don't have any context for that. Yeah. It's just been so beautiful on this layer of healing, getting to share it with my mom and also to understand my dad in a different way through, you know, what I've learned about his mother. And my dad and I don't have the same like 
quote unquote healing relationship, mostly language barrier. And, you know, I think some of our parents, we just have to like, let it go that that's just not their journey in this lifetime or their healing is just going to be look different. And it's like not only healing for me, but now, you know, my teacher, Adriana Rizzolo, she texted me when she saw that post on Instagram. She's like, you're healing generations back and forward, you know, like it's so much deeper even than just my mom assimilating into New York, immigrating, right? It's her being born into Hong Kong and having that occupied by British. So she's always felt inferior to the white man, even in the place of her origin. And then also how that played out in my history of growing up in Texas, like a lot of my trauma being like the rape culture involved with like fraternities and just these themes of colonization that's been very present in my healing journey right now. And also such a huge part of the conversation with everything that's happening in Israel and Palestine, um, which is I think bringing a really nuanced, uh, at least bringing this conversation to the forefront of like decolonizing therapy, which I honestly didn't put two and two together. I think early on in my somatics journey, when I would see the words like decolonization or colonizing, there was almost that part. There's that part of my body that's like, guys, like, come on, like, stop hating on white people. And my intention with this conversation is not to do that. It's like, how can we bridge the gap so that we can have more understanding about how nuanced this conversation is. It's not like pointing the finger at white people being like, you're a colonizer and you must do all this repair in order to make it better. It's like, no, we want to include you in on this conversation to know how we feel and also like how we move forward and learn from how we might be more aware of this, I guess, in healing, in the healing world, in the manifestation world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just so much to say. I think that fits really well into just a little, little bits of sharing some of our pain from our past. And I think, again, like colonization feels like umbrella in which all of these things that we're speaking about come under. It's like an effect of that in many ways is how I see it. Like we, all of us, so to speak, are affected by colonization and the effect of that it's like it reminds me of just like a rotten fruit or a stench from a rotten fruit that stays around that like each of us inhales and like has effects of that and how that ripples out in our life so yeah I've, I really see too especially with the work that we you know when we stepped into somatic experiencing well I'll, I'll speak for myself when I did I quickly, even more, was coming to terms with the effect of colonization in all areas, right? In like we were speaking about earlier, not on the podcast, but we've spoken about since we've met each other in the spiritual realm and the therapeutic realm, like psychedelic realm. Like it just it impacts everything and how we show up in the world. So I love how you speak about you know to have the conversation isn't to make the colonizer bad because in this day they're impacted as well right it's like it's a systemic at the roots it's like rotten roots that everyone feeds off of and so i think that to have the conversation is just to almost like name the elephant in the room and then a name the elephant in the room it's not like all oh, that elephant's bad it's just the impact of the elephant on everyone yeah and how can we heal together in that or like how can we have conversations that can move us towards deeper connection and understanding 
Mm -hmm. Like we are also colonizers, right? Like there's nobody anymore is, I mean, unless you're like truly indigenous in like in the same land, like I live on land that belonged to somebody else. And so it's more the conversation of, oh, like let's like name the elephant, like you said. And then in what ways do we in our own lives have make different decisions? you know, with, with reverence to this. And maybe, you know, we've been talking about it kind of high level and to many people listening, I feel like they may not even really truly understand what it means, like this conversation around decolonizing. And I didn't when I was really stepping into somatic experiencing because I myself have just been conditioned growing up in Texas. And it really honestly has been unfolding in this way for me first with in my in my own somatic healing at first it started with my work with Madison Niece who very much drew me back into you know she pointed out as I was starting to create ceramics she's like do you ever get inspiration from Chinese ceramics and my immediate reaction was like ew it's so ugly it looks cheap like I would never you know and then it's like okay Tammy let's unpack that like that was a really big you know, to <laughs> a very simple suggestion. Would I ever say, like, I don't think that same response would have happened if she was like, do you look at Indian inspiration? Do you look at Japanese inspiration? Right. And so that was the beginning of unpacking that hatred and that complete denial of my own culture. And then the way that it's unfolded in different ways is like, well, one, also noticing while we were when we started somatic experiencing, I don't know if this is true for you, but I chose to enter a cohort choosing a white man that was a licensed um, therapist because I felt like, oh, that'll make me legitimate. And like throughout the first um, modules, I was just like, why is nobody talking about spirit? Why is nobody talking about ancestors? We're hinting at it, but we're not bringing it into this conversation when I'm just like all of this work inevitably whenever I do this work with my clients, like it awakens all this shit, like whatever their connection to the divine is and ancestors. And then me and Melina had a pretty, I, I'm not going to speak for you. I had a pretty traumatic experience at our first in-person training in Austin. No, we both did. You can speak for both of us. <laughs> we both did. It was, oh my God. I was in a complete state of freeze for the entire week. Okay. I didn't poop the entire week. That's like my trauma response. <laughs> okay. From <laughs> was so bloated and like couldn't go to the toilet, like drinking. What were we drinking every day? Like peppermint tea or having like digestive things. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it got to the point where one of my practice sessions was about this awful constipation. And just a plug for somatic experiencing, I went to the bathroom after that session. So this should work. It does work. But it's like that was such a shitty experience because I felt full body freeze the entire time. There was so much tension in the room of, I think, just like when things came up around ayahuasca or different cultural things that were brought in that like, it just felt not safe. You were the only one who was speaking up, you and Yolanda, to like bring up like, hey, let's let's talk about the marginalized. Hey, let's talk about the, you know, that this comes from this culture or this comes from this culture. And it felt like so highly charged, like it wasn't safe to even say that or bring that in or talk about spirit or talk about ancestors. And that, I guess, is the best way that I can illustrate what it means to me 
as I'm learning what decolonization means, like that these somatic practices always root back to indigenous cultures and ritual and ceremony, which inevitably tied into the larger context of us being connected to each other, to our ancestors, to the stars, to spirit universe, the earth. And that to me, that's what I'm understanding decolonizing therapy is like when you look at just like the mainstream talk therapy model of like, I'm coming in with a problem. You're going to tell me what's wrong with me from a fucking book that labels me what's wrong and then give me some pills and like, okay, we've stripped all of the other medicine out of this, right? Then finally switching to the BIPOC group for the last one where we literally, Lena, we began with smudging and we ended in song, prayer, and ceremony on the last day. And it was like for me to be able to speak in front of all of these people, licensed therapists, people with their masters and PhDs. And for me to bring in like, hey, I think it's actually really important, not like for us to shove down people's throats that they need to find their spiritual practice or whatever, but like that we as practitioners hold that possibility in our field, which allows for it to possibly emerge in their own um, sessions. And that's exactly what happened in one of my practice sessions I wanted to tell you about. But basically, you know, in somatic experiencing when we're in the training, like I'm not leading, I'm not doing my normal coaching, like we're, I'm literally just practicing this skill. And so I'm just sitting there in complete presence. And what naturally emerged with the person I was practicing with was their positioning and their hands started going back into prayer that was true to their religion. And it was removed from like, that's, that was like a deep pain, like basically their feeling of love and connectedness to their religion was stripped away because um, they decided to come out as gay. And so the whole session turned into this, like almost me watching their connection to their God, you know, coming back and showing up through their body, through prayer and me tracking their body, like it being kind of totally dead and lifeless and me watching as the ener energy parts of their body started coming online and being in more flow again, as basically they're connecting back to the truth of God or spirit in their bodies, divorced from the shame and bullshit that like humans have placed into their connection. And they didn't even know that my practice was like somatic spirit or that that's like a lot of what shows up. And it was just so cool that it just naturally was there. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. There's so many things in that as well. It's like, like when we're talking about talking about the elephant in the room, for me it relates to like when you give presence to someone, like presence is such the healing balm because within presence, like I feel like we can return back to ourselves. We can return to what's alive and moving within us. We can connect to, you know, what does spirit mean to us personally? Like how, how can we come back to our roots, so to speak? And that sense of wovenness, like wovenness, because we are all woven. It's like, I think in decolonizing, for me, that's where I return to. This just sense of like this interconnectedness and wovenness. And in that beautiful example of your space that you held for this person in that session, they were able to return to or touch into like that which was alive in them and that how spirit moved in them. And I don't know, that for me is like if, if we can each as a humanity 
come into touch with that? Like, how would the world look different? Recently, the story that's come into my head more and more because I've been doing all of this deep somatic work on my body being violated, right? And that's like four separate occasions of actual sexual assault. But I realized like one of the biggest body violations for me had nothing to do with a physical person, but like I went to a Christian school in elementary school and we went to chapel every day and I had just cultivated this deep love with God and Jesus, you know, that was my intro into spirituality. And that was, you know, that's probably what kept me alive, like through what I was experiencing at home was this deep, profound love that I felt and connection to God that I knew was like non-judgmental, like it, it almost like I, if I could describe it, it felt like Eve before she bit into the apple, you know, before she knew she was like made dirty or whatever. And I remember signing up for this Christian camp and I loved it. I loved the community. I loved being able to sing songs and feel like, oh, I, I'm making all these friends and I have this sense of belonging. And then there are so, some things that were being said that I I can literally feel like, just feels like there's like a knife in my chest of like, wait, that feels incongruent to what I knew my relationship to God was, right? And it would be things like, you know, if you're not in this community, basically, then you're a sinner. Like if you're off on your own, the messages I was getting or the ways that I was interpreting it was if you're not part of our community and you go off on your own, then you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to be a sinner. You know, if you don't do this homework after this, when you leave and go home, you're a sinner. Just like all of this guilt and shame that I just remember so distinctly that that was like one of the very first experiences of deep guilt and shame, really internalizing that. And I'll never forget when my parents came to pick me up after that week and it was like raining. I remember having my head like against the window of the car and it's like so dreary outside. And this deepest feeling of depression that I can remember from so early on. Like I'm sure I felt all kinds of things growing up with my dad being an alcoholic and all that stuff, but it was almost like, oh my God, the only thing that I had that was like the pure essence of love and belonging, my connection to spirit and God, like even that is gone now. And even as I say that right now, like I want to cry, like it's so deep. And so to me, yeah, like what you're speaking to is like this piece of colonization that strips the true connection of ourselves with our source and puts it into context of like, here are frameworks that you need to follow that like, I feel like always underlying that is like money, greed, and power. It's like, here's a way that we can control people by giving them an ideology that like is laced with guilt and shame so that if they're not part of it, like they can't survive on their own. Yeah. And only if you practice in this way and believe this, then you're a part of, then you can ascend or then you can experience God or then you can be a part of the community, so to speak, um, or have your relation, authentic relationship to spirit. It's like only then when you follow that framework, like this is what it is. And anything beyond that is invalidated more or not true. Yeah. I'm curious what comes up for you in your personal journey back to your own mysticism and spirit. 
Well, just when you were speaking, I grew up, so my, on my Chinese family were Catholic. So we would go to Chinese Catholic community churches. And uh, because of that, my parents put me in both Catholic primary school and high school. And so my early experiences with God feels very similar to what you're talking about in Jesus. And actually, very early on, my initial experience was joy. Like I was like, oh, like I love the ritual. I actually really loved going to church because I love the ritual. I love the ceremony. I love eating the bread and the wine. Like, oh, the blood of Christ. Like, yes, feed me. Like, I want that within me. And just even like Eucharist and prayer. Like I had this very intimate relationship with praying to God and like what God meant to me. So initially that was all a very positive experience but then very quickly as I got older like probably coming into high school I started to see some of the messages that were like yeah but you have to do this in order to keep having this connection with God and then that was my first experience that I don't even know if I could have named as shame back then like I didn't have that awareness kind of that you're speaking to But like that Catholic kind of shame and guilt that you're speaking to when you went to this Christian camp, that started to come in. And then it just confused everything for me because I was like, well, wait, I thought that I really loved this, but it feels weird or like dissonant to now feel guilty and shame if I don't pray or if I don't like do something this way, for example. And um, I think that... You know, that's my earliest example of what I kind of, that and also fairies, <laughs> I want to say, like when I was like really little, I like a 10,000% believed in fairies. Like I had little fairy houses. I like fed them. The bees were like their little like messengers and like the little clovers I used to get. So I was like the fairy world was maybe my like, maybe my first entry into like quote unquote mysticism was just like I wouldn't have called that when I was so little, but just this fantastic like this magical realm that I believed that there was something that I couldn't see, but I really believed in it. And that belief in that gave me life. Like it gave me meaning. It gave me something to like, yeah, believe in, I guess. I was too young to maybe formulate what that meant, but I always remember feeling this sense of something else existed other than me. And that gave me a lot of comfort because I remember from a very young age, I was kind of confused. I mean, we've spoken about this before too. I was confused about my gender. I was confused about what it meant to be mixed race. I was confused, like, yeah, so proud. I was actually really proud to be Asian because my father brought that side of it. He, He was an immigrant from Papua New Guinea. My mother's Norwegian, but she was born in Australia. But then it was like, I was also Norwegian. It was just, there was a lot of confusion. I felt very confused as a child and about identity and where I fit in. And so for me, fairies and this kind of sense that something else existed, I always had this sense that there was something greater than me. There was just this feeling. And then when I found, then when we were going to church and like talking about God, I'm like, oh, it's God. Like, that's what it is. Like it turned into that. But then, yeah, when it turned into like a shameful thing, it wasn't like a, like a innocent exploration anymore. It was like, oh, now I have to do things this way. I started to get really confused. I remember I stopped praying. 
I remember, I remember I was sitting, this is many fast forward, many years later, I was in India, still trying to kind of connect to what does spirit mean to me now? What does spirituality mean to me? How do I connect to it authentically? And I wish I remember I was speaking to this spiritual teacher. Her name is Shantimai. And I said this line and I said, and I feel this guilt and shame. And she was like, did you grow up in like Catholicism? (laughs) And I was like, I did, I did. That's me. (laughs) And she's like, yeah. She's like, the thing with organized religion is that it can come with this guilt and shame. And so that just opened me up to like, what would it be to just follow what was really meaningful to me? And then that kind of turned into oh, I've always believed in a greater mystery of life. And then that led me into like mysticism and the meaning of mysticism to me at least is like everything is a part of the great mystery. Like everything is, um, I was just speaking to a friend about this the other day, mysticism and there's another word for something ism, which is like everything is spirit for me. Everything is a part of the great mystery. Everything is that which we can like find that connection to source. Is that animism? Animism, yes. So I can I relate to these kinds of things and I feel that that makes it really personal and that we can get outside of that very kind of structured and again colonized spirituality that is taken over, I think, with this underlying sense of like guilt and shame that you speak of and confusion and to be good in this lifetime means to be X, Y, and Z. It even becomes in like it's such a mask. It's like, oh, if I meditate, it's like sneaky, right? So where can we dissect and become meditation just something I really love to do versus meditation? If I do it, I'm going to be a better person (laughs) or like, you know what I mean? So yeah, and goddess path is all connected there. I know I'm talking a lot now, but it is, it's a really rich topic for me. And I'll just add at the end, psychedelics became a really big part of my deconstruction, like deconstruction constructing and decolonizing which is interesting because that's so prevalent within that world of work however I'm speaking about the medicine that I took and that the healing that that brought the insights that that brought me so yeah that was a huge part I think of my awakening and my own kind of coming into understanding what was meaningful to me and deconstructing a little bit those thoughts of colonization and And I want to dive into the goddess work, you know, because that's been part of my path recently as well and psychedelics. And then I wanted to just reflect back so many good things that you just said. It's almost like that shame, because obviously I don't think I could have named the shame or the depression happening to me when I was 11 years old or 12, leaving that camp either. And I think actually that's kind of like this weird nuance around trauma of us not having words for what's happening back then, but just feeling these awful sensations that almost feels like the first violation in the body because it's like, you know, I always love talking about Gabor Mate when he's like that pull or that those decision points we make as children between our authenticity, like what we know to be true in our bodies versus attachment. And it's like these in, in both of our experiences, that's when we went chose away from our authenticity for attachment because we're like, well, I need to belong to this group. So 
than I guess what I thought my relationship was. For example, early on, you know, when you start discovering masturbation, right? And I'm like, cool, this is love. God loves me. And my sexuality is just part of an expression of joy on this earth. But then suddenly, if the organized religion is like, that's bad and wrong, then I'm then I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to choose to deny my joy and authenticity and what I knew that feeling to be. And I'm going to choose the route that's like shame and guilt. So now I must control and cut off those parts of me in order to belong. It's so interesting piecing this apart as it comes back in somatic work. It's so nuanced the way that it shows up, right? For me and my somatic practitioner, for example, I always notice this part that comes in that's like this critic that's like, Maybe when I was trying to figure out if poly was right for me or monogamy or even just dealing with my body image stuff, right? There's this part that comes in that's like, you are a spiritual, like somatic practitioner. Like, why do you still have these body image things that come up? Like, you should know that you are expanded beyond infinity. Like, this isn't even, this shouldn't even be a thing. And, you know, her reflection back to me is, is that God's voice? I don't, I don't know that that's God's voice. I don't know that, <laughs> you know, and it's like seeing, whoa, weird, this like weird spiritual ego that has formed that criticizes me in the disguise of God or spirituality, you know, of like, oh, you should be so, why are you so jealous of other women? Like you should be so conscious that Polly is obvious, you know, like in that really traumatizing phase of me trying to figure all that out, like I was ascribing that to being the most spiritual, the most conscious. But it's just like another layer of like this weird colonial way of thinking of like, there's one right way. And for you to be the good spiritual girl, you must be like this. <laughs> Whereas when you're speaking to knowing God in our bodies is like actually it being everything, the great mystery that there actually is no shame because any expression of us is an expression of the divine or whatever. And I feel like now I'm just like going into outer space. Reach. <laughs> Reach, Tammy. <laughs> and then also, I don't know if this has happened for you in more recent years, but also like I'm 33 and, you know, that's like the Jesus year. But like myself and my friend Kate, both of us came from Christianity and then kind of like went away from it. Sort of like you said, when you stop prayer and everything. And then I feel like that's like another, the next double whammy hit is then when we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we're like anti where we came from. And then we're kind of spiritless. And then it's almost like the reintegration process sometimes of like, Yes, goddess work, psychedelics, like aliens, like all the all the places that I have found spirituality or my connection back to spirit from, but also for me to the reclamation of Jesus's story or Jesus's teachings back to like what my 11-year-old self knew. Not saying that like I'm part of the organized religion of Christianity anymore, but for me to get to reclaim those stories and what they meant to me now. That's so beautiful. I think the word reclamation encapsulates so much. Like to, yeah, to reclaim what spirit means to us. It may not mean anything to some people too. Like they may not have any connection, but even that, can that be okay? 
Like, can that be acceptable too? Like, can the reclamation just be in the their own acceptance and love for what's true for them, you know, for you? So, yeah, it's, I feel like we could talk about all of these things for so many hours. It's just, it's so rich. There's so many different pathways that we can go down. Like, for some reason, as you were talking, as we were talking, I was thinking, well, what is, like, are we speaking to, like, is there an anecdote for decolonization? And if there is, like, what would that be? And some words were coming to me and reclamation, the word reclamation just came, like, we can break that down. But then the word honoring came as well. And I think it's, like, also compassion. And, yeah, so when we're speaking about this, it, it feels like the processes that we went through is some of that too. It's, like, honoring those, like, innocent parts of ourselves that really felt this calling or something to greater than that was really that brought meaning to us and then reclaiming that and then finding compassion like when the person that you're working with is like is that voice like a god or is that just as judgmental like again this is the way that things have to be done and then I always think like says who who said that this is the way that things have to be done because for me then it's just on the topic again of like my teacher for so many years, Shamali Ada, who I worked with Awakening Women and who introduced me to the goddess path, would often say like she would see these men with long white beards and it was like made by men for men in order to like transcend this life. And yet, you know, what about women's bodies? What about trans bodies? What about anything other than just men? And where does that fit in? And where does the mess of it all fit in too? Like even the mess of colonization, like we're saying that we are, I am a colonizer, you are, we all are a part of that. So where does that fit in? Like, and where can we find that compassion and honoring and reclamation, which are these three words that were just coming to me within all, like, where does that lead you if you connect to those words? And there's, I'm, I'm curious to you, like what comes to you as well as you speak about you know, your journey here and as it kind of keeps tying into this decolonizing process, like very personal processes of ours. Compassion, honoring, and reclamation. Yeah, those are just the three that came to me right now. But I'd be curious, like, what are other words that come more? I think the word that has been real for me for the past couple of years is truth, because the ways that we've learned truth can be in a colonized format means that it's true for everyone. Like I'm so passionate about this right now because the more I've come to know the truth in my body, like fully embodied, like so much of my journey this year has been really healing the codependency wound and navigating conscious dating by first actually really attending to the continuous monogamous relationship with myself and my spirit, God, goddess. And continually rooting in that has made me so strong in my own truth that I don't need your truth to be the same as mine. I don't need whoever I'm dating's truth to be the same as mine. And also it gives me just more power and and confidence to walk away if I know that this won't work out, but I don't need to make them bad or wrong. Like truth, but in the way that's not to control large populations, truth in the individual that then I think feeds us to all be interconnected and be like the exact puzzle piece that we contribute into the larger whole. 
Yeah, I love that. When I hear that, I also hear like taking responsibility for ourselves and taking responsibility when you said in our contribution. That's huge because if we can take responsibility for our contribution in this greater whole, there's something that everyone can, everyone is allowed to exist or like there's more of an opportunity that we can exist without, like you said, without making someone wrong for their truth and for your truth. Right. That's just like an underlying trauma from everybody as a child is like in order to earn love and approval from parents, friends, our church society, we needed to subscribe to the truth that would make us fit in, right? And so in that way, we learn to other other people because then that means that we would stay in the circle. Now it's almost like that's our responsibility in humanity is like, how do we heal from that trauma so that we can start celebrating the differences and seeing how we're better together rather than be stuck in that like individualistic mindset of like basically just protecting my truth so that I don't get rejected. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also like when you say othering, othering, like how do we do that inside ourselves too? Like how do we make ourselves separate or other? And what comes up for me is you were telling me a story before about tea. And this is a good anecdote to kind of tease apart or like there's no answers that we're getting to. But one thing, one anecdote that comes up for me is like tea and my my feelings around tea lately and how cool that has become in spirituality. And then the other one is also the goddess path, right? Because those come from um, Indian cultures. And then for me, myself sitting with in what ways am I appropriating by following this path? Or I don't know, maybe we could start with the tea one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But like, so I live in a place that is very uh, kind of like a spiritual hub. And it's, I think, more white than it is diverse. And, you know, tea ceremony has become really cool in the spiritual world. And I myself, as I've journeyed down my ancestral reclamation, I've had a desire to learn Tai Chi, Qigong, and to learn actual traditional tea ceremony for myself. And before I moved here, I lived in LA, which is like very commodified spirituality. And I appreciate it because it drew me into the world and it drew me into my path. But like coming here where I live, I was really excited to join in on these tea ceremonies. But as I've deepened into these layers of decolonizing within my own body, I'm feeling like a visceral rejection to learning or participating in a tea ceremony, especially like one of the first few times with a white woman leading it. And I'm not, I'm not saying like they shouldn't. I'm just speaking from what's showing up for me. Well, like we shared earlier, I, you know, I, I had the same feeling and very similar too. We both live in spiritual hubs, just in different states in the US and also similar lack of diversity here, I would say, um, predominantly white. And I also experienced that visceral kind of reject, it was a rejection or it's like a, it's like pushing away 
which kind of led me down okay what is that and then it led me down to more again a deeper connection to my Chinese ancestors and that oh like this has been a part of my Chinese culture for I who knows how thousands and thousands of years like this is steeped and like deep tradition so I started to make sense again I agree with you not to make it wrong it's not like no one can take this tradition and culture maybe even you would take but it's like like celebrate it and use it as something that they want in their life but I think because and you know maybe in our similar journeys here like this reclamation and being in touch with our ancestors I was like something about it was like that's not my way of deepening my connection like when this is a part of a tradition that feels very alive and you know I've shared the story with you the first time that I sat with in a tea ceremony I just started crying and I was like I'm sorry I don't know why I'm crying I'm just (laughs) it was just this remembering like remembering something deep in my bones and yeah I think it's just interesting to again when you speak about like trusting the body's impulses and like trusting which is like you know, again, plugging somatic experiencing good. There's like such good things that come from that. I don't think essentially is somatic experiencing. I think these are indigenous practices. I think these are things that have come for a very long time, even in women's circles, like learning how to listen to our bodies. But within that, we can follow like what you're saying, Tammy, like the truth, like what is our truth? And that was my truth, similar to your truth was like, I didn't feel comfortable in like learning like and sitting like being served just by a white woman like that wasn't or a white man for that fact it just wasn't sitting well with me as I wanted to deepen my connection in that way and I think you know maybe the deeper I go as I connect to it within myself that might change in future because I have more of a like sense of my roots there and and I'll just speak for myself. When I know that it's a part of a tradition, like in my culture, there is something that is very powerful then to have someone in my culture that's serving me too. Uh, it doesn't make anyone else wrong. It just makes that I can like deepen my connection, so to speak. So I'm wondering if that's similar for you too. Yeah, I think it's almost like at first I want to find some solution of like, how might they change what they're doing or whatever to make me feel better? But what you're coming back to is, well, it's just not true for me for where I am on my journey right now. Like I want to go to Wudong province and learn Tai Chi and do the tea thing, you know, and I don't need to impose that on other people and what they're doing. And then it's like where I'm conflicted about it is myself learning on the goddess path, which is mystical Indian tradition. And I'm curious because you also went down that path. And so it's sort of this, it's like, I feel like I'm doing the same thing to that, even though it's been so deep for me and so profound in working with the goddesses and what you're saying, religion being mostly built on what men feel in their bodies. And I think what was profound about the goddess path for me is that there's a representation of every part of us as women through the many faces of the goddess in this tradition. You know, I've had so much dissecting in this realm because I came upon, I should, actually, it wasn't, I didn't first step onto goddess path this way. The first time I even like entered into women speaking about goddess was when I went to my first ever women's 
gathering. It was called This Earth Gathering and it was in Somerset in the UK. And at that point, I was trying to reconnect to what it meant to be a woman to me because, again, I've had a whole like gender exploration in my own journey. And But I, I knew like I didn't have the experience that I wasn't like the genitals that I had, the body that I had was like, okay, I felt acceptance of that. It was just more I didn't connect to them what it meant to be woman necessarily. So I went down a whole journey of what does that mean for me? What does it mean for me to be in this body? What does it mean to me to have a menstrual cycle and that I can like essentially if I want create a child or like grow a child and birth a child? and that led me to I was working actually with a Trinidadian Trinidad is that you said Trinidadian she was from Trinidad who lived in the UK a therapist very hardcore Jungian therapist <laughs> at the time but she taught me so much and she was also steeped in shamanic traditions and she was like why don't you maybe connect to women's circles to like see how you feel there and so I went to this earth gathering and it was so beautiful it was led by a um I want to say Hispanic woman I could be wrong about that there was some roots in Ecuador and that's where the, 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 the whole that whole thing was very monumental for me because this earth gathering was a bunch of different tents all women and everyone speaking about their different love of like what spirit or what goddess meant to them and sometimes goddess wasn't even mentioned in certain circles there was like a astrology circle and like a drumming circle and this but that's where goddess first was like I was like oh goddess like I've just connected to god like god and then this whole like dissecting god man like da 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 and I was like, huh, I'm really curious. I want to understand more. Like, I feel really a calling here. Like the word goddess, like I like that. I want to have a reclamation of maybe what that means to me. And then I found Awakening Women and I found my teacher, Shamali. She is, yeah, she's now a dear friend of mine, mentor. She's like family. And she was, she's a white woman. She's Norwegian. And she was teaching Indian uh, traditional kind of Indian mythology as that was the entry at that time at least when I first met her is that wasn't the only goddess kind of path she was speaking to but that was mostly she had a deep connection to Indian goddesses and so I was like ooh, became all fascinated like Indian goddesses yeah and like Shakti path and and what that meant and then I do remember times feeling like I was um imposter or like doing these things and like connecting to you know Lakshmi and I was like am I allowed to do like is this allowed I don't know but I felt this connection like I felt this aliveness and interestingly like Shamali and Awakening Women the organization went through a whole decolonizing process which was very powerful to be a part of at the time when I was working for them more fully and within that, I, it actually helped me relax because it had me see like, oh, goddess doesn't have to just be an Indian goddess. Actually, goddess is a part of many different traditions. It's a part of our Chinese tradition, Norwegian too. Gosh, the Norse mythology is epic and beautiful. And I have been reclaiming and reconnecting to my Norse roots. Like talk about like, I was like, yeah, proud Chinese, Asian, like, yeah, I'm mixed, but like, don't talk about my white Norwegian roots, like bad, bad colonize. <laughs> like, so I like had to come into reclamation with that. And the goddess path helped me with that because I realized goddess is 
connected to all cultures as I see it, as I've, as I've like delved into it. And so from there, I felt more comfortable with the fact that I still feel like, like Durga is my girl kind of thing. Like the Indian goddess Durga, she has been monumental in my life and in my journey. But, you know, so has Nua, which is like a Chinese goddess of fertility. And so has Freya, which is a, a like a Norse or like Celtic Norse, like European goddess. So I think that like where this ties into tea, it's like, for me, it's about like, can, can we have a respect and an honoring again and like for our truth and what really calls to our aliveness, whether it be in a completely other tradition that's like not our own, not our own origins maybe. Um, but can we like get a little more curious about that? And then can we like see where maybe it weaves in, in a way that we can like be authentic to it and not necessarily have to take that as our own. And that's kind of like where that led me. But there was an initial moment of feeling like I was taking a tradition and feeling like, am I allowed to do this? And I wonder if, you know, some of these people that are not Chinese that are doing Chinese tea ceremony maybe have that same questioning too and kind of ties back to what you were sharing, Tammy, earlier. Like this is not a conversation to say that's bad. This is not to say that's not okay. But I think for me, if there's not like an honoring and understanding, like a respect and even a conversation around it and like an own deeper exploration, then I feel like it gets a little like, well, what is your truth? Like, again, like I think what's the deeper exploration? And when we can find that, I think in my experience, it's had me relax more to really appreciate and take on sometimes other cultural traditions and see how do they fit and can they weave in in a way that feels like I'm actually in alignment versus, you know, what I see very often is like, well, that's just the way that you do it. So I'm going to take that and going to take it as my own. And now I'm going to be a good goddess follower because I do that. Yeah, I love that. Like my Vedic astrologer in one of our readings, he said, for the next three years, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is it woke or is it faux woke? And he was like, oh, he did not just go there and take me out to the woodshed, you know, because obviously starting to put myself online, naturally anybody going onto Instagram or whatever, there you suddenly you have people looking at you and it's so like, it's so easy to get triggered into that performance of what you think you should be or how you should show up. And actually what I really loved that was coming to me as you were speaking was this integration away from the black and white of it, of like, we should not be taking on other traditions or learning from other traditions, but almost kind of some permission of like, hey, it's going to be a little awkward at first. And why don't we make that okay? It's like you're drawn to something here. You're drawn to a tradition. And so before we like start pointing the fingers and making it good, bad, right, wrong, whatever, which maybe stops people from deepening into their truth, it's like, just allow yourself to be a little awkward with it as at first. The same way if you're taking on any art or you're starting to sing, it's going to sound a little shitty at first. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, if I'm drawn to the goddess tradition, it's almost like it's like the thing that I want, say, if people take on tea is, um, yeah, to really see that that's taken on, not just as the things that you do and the ways that things are made pretty 
to create a ceremony, but what are the truths that have come for you through the practice and almost like a desire for that to be taught along with, you know, maybe naming the culture and naming the origins and how that like has transformed or changed the individual who's facilitating it. And, um, like kind of what you said, like Kali is like my, she's my inner wild woman. She's the fierce protector. She's the slashing away of anything that is not our nature as love. So she just resonates for me and has brought me so deeply into my journey through my practice and how it's evolved and the way that I work with women. And it inspired me to be like, well, what is the Chinese counterpart? And, you know, that Kuan Yin, uh, more yin side of me, that is the quiet part that doesn't really need to do so much that I could just sit here in my simple presence and that be enough with, like you said, compassion. And almost like, it, I feel like what I've, I'm getting from this conversation is an invitation and more permission for people to explore their spirituality through learning from a smattering of all kinds of different traditions and then deepening into it, deepening into the, you said, honor, the compassion from those. Yeah, absolutely. It's just being curious. And I think coming back to we talk a lot about ancestors. I think that's really beautiful too. Like a big part of my decolonizing work is, is finding my connection to my ancestors and from there letting that lead me more. Following that kind of impulse into what interests us, what awakens something within our heart and in our bodies and then getting curious, getting curious about that and like maybe deconstructing a little bit too. One of the things that I appreciated about somatic experiencing coming back to that practice again, like, um, I don't know, like a physiological point of view was around like the literal way in which we can rewire our brain and our nervous system's capacity. And I think in this whole conversation, what's something that supported me to even be able to talk about it without shame and guilt, not to say that that doesn't still exist, is expanding our capacity to like be with that shame. It, it to even like get to know what that feels like in the body, expanding our capacity for the guilt that may come up. And I found within like having the capacity to be with the messiness that just is being human and like the innocence of our exploration of what lights us up and deconstructing and getting curious about that, there's like more acceptance that can come of like, I don't know what the words you just used, but it reminded me of this. It was like, can we allow us the awkwardness? Like, can we be with the mess too, without shaming ourselves? Like, can we be that it can be a really uncomfortable process sometimes, all of these topics that we're talking about? And can we expand a little bit more to stay with that and then see what comes through once we're with that? It's like the decolonizing is almost coming back to curiosity, the mystery, ambiguity, which inevitably I think does lead us into more right relationship with how we respect whatever we're doing. Yeah, I do believe that. I think there is such a respect that comes in that word, the responsibility comes to me too. Like if we can really be responsible for the choices that we make and the consequences that they have and the impact 
that we have and what inspires us and what we're called to regardless of is it truly in our own tradition is it someone else's tradition but there's also that room for like (laughs) sometimes we're not aware of that we don't have the consciousness of that it's like just to begin to have some consciousness towards it and then to be with those uncomfortable feelings that might come up for that kind of maybe innocent or maybe not innocent part that wants to take and have those things like you you spoke about power earlier on like power and greed and like it's so prevalent in this culture like if you have this PhD under your belt if you have this like knowledge you know you and I even spoke about like coming to SE I was like okay well maybe I'll be more legitimate in the things that I know and then I came into the training and I was like whoa like I actually feel like it confronted me with how I was not legitimizing myself like I had to basically say if I'm really blunt and honest here this white man who is like a doctorate or whatever and has created this really big thing like if I can train under that then I will be legitimate in my own knowledge and then what I realized coming into the training I I knew so much already from all my years and in paths that I've taken But all of a sudden, like, I was legitimate because I was doing the training. Like, (laughs) again, it was kind of maybe an innocent thing, but I wanted to belong or seem like that meant that I had some kind of qualification. And I think this whole conversation, it's like colonization, taking, trying to get credentials, taking something from someone else or like tradition in order to, there's like this taking quality. But I think if I feel the shame and the guilt, and just essentially these are the waters that we swim in. And if we come back to like you're saying, okay, this is messy, this is uncomfortable, this was awkward at times, but to have more reverence, more respect, more responsibility, you know, just like so many indigenous traditions have, if they take, they give thanks. There's a reciprocity that happens. And I think that that's my aim, like for myself, whether I don't think I have it figured out, but that for me has me sense like if we can come into more reciprocity in our inner processes and that self-acceptance and respect and responsibility and compassion, I think there is that chance again that we can have more acceptance and Yeah, so much of the conversation is like, how do we change these large systems into thinking about eight generations from now rather than just what benefits me as an individual with my comfort here on this earth? For me, that's what I've been sitting with and like, and what parts of my practice attend to the reciprocity of giving back you know, from what I've taken, from the educations that I have, from from the colonial ways that I've acquired. So yeah, that's kind of beautiful full circle of what we've been talking about. And gosh, I, I feel like we could <laughs> sit here forever and ever. I want to talk specifically about ancestors on like our next episode and like specifically about psychedelics. Because if we were to go on, this would be like an ongoing, we would just like run out of air and energy. So stay tuned for me and Melina's next conversation that will be specifically about ancestors and um, indigenous medicines, which is a lot of Melina's background. Yeah. Part two. This is part one. And then we'll have part two. Yes. Well, thank you so much for dissecting this with me. And I feel like there was a big integration that happened for me in this conversation just around the talk around colonization and, you know, so much being thrown around in such an angry way on social media. This feels a lot more nuanced and 
calming for my nervous system. Totally. These are more of the conversations that I want to have, like shoving down one's throat, like you're a colonizer and you're bad and like deal with it. It's like, well, that's one method. <laughs> like, you well, know, it's try just and creating more topic. division. Yeah, exactly. And pain. And it's like, it, because it, it, it is painful. And hopefully, you know, for those that are listening, you can feel this sense of ease in your nervous systems too. Of like, oh, it doesn't have to be so intense and be a little softer. Right. I'm excited for our next one. Yeah, thank you, Tammy, my soul sister. I'm excited for part two as well. My brother live in a jungle concrete Like a belly gone rumbling Only wants a taste of the sky Wind and fire set in the seeds For the son of his son to come with him one day Taste the roots he was born from Passing the story how all hands came together as one.